So I'm very excited to be with you guys today, very excited to be able to encourage you in the Word. And, um, but I will have to admit, once I got into John 10 again, I've never taught this chapter in the context of us doing it exegesis by verse by verse. I've taught this out of the outflow of Psalm 23, and so it has a little different look, and God started revealing some new things to me that I've never seen in the context of what we're going to look at this morning. And so it was really wonderful to experience that and see that as God was speaking, and um, that's the beauty of this chapter. There's like six or seven sermons in these 15 verses. So for CJ, who loves to, to whittle this down, and for us to look at the context and just uh, the specifics of this, it was hard to do, but fun to do. And uh, so I just got to pray the Lord doesn't get me off on some shepherd sheep bunny trails. So we'll just pray God keeps me in line with that. But let me give you first a little bit of review. John 9 happened last week. Grady was rocking and rolling. Got a, how many, what, 41 verses in? Woo! That was the record for him. We have yet to, that was a record for all of John since we started this in January. Um, but just very briefly, let me give you a review because we have to know what happened last week or a little review to know the whole point of this week. So last week, um, Jesus encountered uh, the blind man who was born blind. And he walked up and the disciples told him, Rabbi, who sinned? And John, I'm just going to give a little overview. And now uh, Jesus said, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus said it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so Jesus encountered him, spit in the mud, made him a little patty, put the mud on the eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed, and boom, healing. He was able to see. And so there was discussion going around about the folks around the area, the Jews in the area, and they brought him before the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And when the Pharisees talked to him, they said uh, it was now a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees also were asking him again, how did you receive your sight? And the man went on to proceed and tell him how. But the problem the Pharisees had was, in verse 16 of 9, it said, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Instead of rejoicing over one of their own, a precious Jewish brother who's been blind since birth, instead of rejoicing of the miracle of a man being set free and being born blind and now seeing, their concern was their traditions. Their concern was the religious spirit of the day of just doing the religious thing. And so they didn't treat this man with care or love or any concern. It was the fact that they were more concerned about the Sabbath. So there was a confrontation, a discussion. And this is so cool, how just this man's response. This man has been born blind his entire life. He's healed. And that quote that he said last week, they answered him and said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know, the man said. One thing I do know, though I was blind, I now see. I think it's one of the most amazing quotes in Scripture, and that's for all of us. At one point, we were all dead in our sins, and now we are alive in Christ. And that declaration, then further down, as they got into the discussion, this man started preaching. I mean, he literally did. This blind man who'd been sitting for his life, so obviously he's heard the word, whether they took him to the you know, synagogue or not. The man answered and said to them, well, there is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. And he declared, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if any was God-fearing and does his will, God hears him. So here he is preaching at the Pharisees. Do they like that? No. So they're looking at him going, you're going to teach us, and you're a sinner? So we get to the point to where Jesus finally hears about him and goes and finds him. And usually where Jesus is, who follows? His disciples. I'm sure we got a little gathering. Jesus meets him there. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you now. 
And so the man declared his confession of faith, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him there. So a little discussion happened again where Jesus talked about judgment and the blind, and there were some Pharisees hanging out with him, okay, as usual. And in verse 40, it says, Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Okay? So this is flowing us into John 10 now. Same conversation, same dialogue. They're still there together, which again, when I've taught John 10, knowing it flows that way, but I've never taught it in this context. So it's really, really cool this next dialogue, what God does and how Jesus responds. And it says, in his typical fashion, as only Jesus can. So as we flow in now to continue this dialogue, this confrontation of Jesus with the Pharisees, if you all stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to read John chapter 10, 1 through 15. Today, because it's my study Bible and I got so many notes in it, we're reading from the New American Standard is what I'll be using today. So let's read before the Lord. And, And just as you're listening, I want the Holy Spirit to already start working, which I know he will, as teacher, and to bring wisdom and guidance and revelation. So remember, this is a conversation. He's there still talking to the Pharisees and this group that is gathering. So even as we're reading now, God's going to already start bringing some revelation and speaking some things. And picture this image. It's a beautiful imagery we're about to see. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, He is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. God, we thank you for the word that even declaring this word verbally out loud is warfare and it's truth and it's power. And we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come as teacher. We know you're here positionally, but we pray, God, you would manifest your power and your glory as your word goes forth today to bring revelation and enlightenment to teach us so that we know you more intimately as we leave here today. May CJ be silent and may you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Whoa, there's so much in this chapter. Um, But let's dive in. So, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, okay? And he starts right out of nowhere, having this dialogue, talking about judgment and blindness. Can you hear me okay, Grady? Okay. I noticed you telling me to, you want me to raise it up more? I'm Italian. So you know me, man. I'll start talking loud. My hands get going, that's right. Okay. I don't want to scream. 
But so right in the beginning, Jesus takes a little, I mean, this content and the confrontation switches on him. He just, and this is what Jesus does. Holy Spirit shows up, gives Jesus some wisdom, and here's where they're going to go. So he goes right into this imagery, this dialogue of this unique response. So why would Jesus use this imagery, go right into this shepherd-sheep contrast to confront the Pharisees? Well, the Jewish mind understood this imagery very, very well. It was a part of the culture, a part of the day. And for the Pharisees, it was very clear this relationship of shepherd to sheep and the responsibility of what it means. I'm going to read some scriptures. They're not going to be up there, so just listen. I'm going to read some of these quickly. Understanding that Jesus is confronting them as a spiritual guide. Genesis 48, 15, Jacob is blessing his son Joseph, and he said, He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. It's the first reference in scripture where God is referred to as a shepherd. The one we know the most, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 78, 52. He led forth his own, he, God, led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Okay, so this is knowledge these Pharisees know. They know the scriptures well, the Old Testament scriptures. This relationship of shepherd to sheep, knowing who God is, he leads in this way. But there's also clear scripture through the prophets that these men would know. And some very sobering <laughs> announcements. In Jeremiah 23, put this one on the, up there on the screen. I want you all to see this. So God is a shepherd, but then look, God has given responsibility to men in his people as shepherds. And here God is talking to the Jewish leaders in Judah. And look how bold this is. This is an important relationship to God. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and not attended them. Behold, I am not to attend. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture. And they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Right after this, Jeremiah prophesies over the next few verses about Jesus coming as, a, as the chief shepherd, as the main shepherd. A couple little verses here I'm going to read. It's not on me on the screen. But just to show you the importance of this relationship, that's why I'm going to lay this foundation, that these men would have understood their role and the importance of their role within Israel in a spiritual men. In Ezekiel 34, another contrast to this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Let that one sit in. That sounds very Pharisaical, doesn't it? Everything we've seen, and we're going to hear about it, we have heard up to this point in John, everything they do is what? It's self-serving. It's all about feeding them. Their reputation their religion, their status, everything. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. Those who are diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but you force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And then Jesus goes on just to say what he was going to do. I'll share a couple here. 
For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy, gloomy day. I will feed them in a good pasture. I will feed my flock and lead them to rest. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken. You guys seeing who your God is? Seeking the lost, bringing back the scattered, binding up the broken, strengthening the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them judgment. I want to delay that foundation because these men who are hearing these things know this. And I just want to put a little sobering encouragement out to my fellow elders. This is your call to these sheep. Okay? Just a little brought me back to the Lord. Oh, gosh, you have to remind me of that one. But this is an encouraging thing for all of us in the position of under-shepherds. We've been called to shepherd you this way. You guys understand that? And I hope you do because we're, you have to keep us accountable to that. See, I'm getting a little bunny chair. I don't want to. But this is what we're called to do for you. Everything he just declared, we are called to do that for you and with you. Okay? In that context. So let's look here in first verse. So these Pharisees are hearing this, and this is the context why Jesus would have used this imagery. Because they would have, again, they should understand, I put that in quotes, because of who they are. So Jesus is showing them, here's the difference in true shepherds and false shepherds. Verse 1, truly, truly, um, Grady's talked about this before. Literally, it means amen, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, man, look at the time. Are you kidding? Wow. Okay. We may be having communion for lunch. No, I'm just kidding. So literally saying, I tell you the truth. This is important. Look at me. Like Grace said, you look at me. What I'm about to tell you is of dire importance. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. First thing in verse 1, the fold. What is this, a sheepfold? In this context right here, the first thing Jesus is trying to show them is there's a tradition in the way in these cities and villages that there's a courtyard connected to a home. It's like a square, rectangular type with an open roof. There's no roof. So picture a courtyard with a door or a gate. Okay? And during the evenings, primarily, shepherds would come in out of the fields, bring their flocks in, various sizes, doesn't have to be huge, but would bring in their flocks and store them there overnight, like a holding pen. And then a, a porter or doorkeeper would be paid to stand guard through the night. That was his job. Okay, so that's the imagery of this one. Jesus is saying they would have known it because there's a doorkeeper there, and this setting would be this way. So that's what the fold is. It's an enclosure that's primarily used for protection with a guy. So the thief and the robber, this imagery, again, as you can see, obviously we know what they are. A thief is one who is cunning, deceiving, sneaky. And again, I hope you're already seeing the comparisons because who's he talking to? Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. So thieves are cunning and sneaky. They're, they steal by stealth. Okay? But a robber, which is, who is different, steals by violence, steals by force, comes as an aggressor. Okay? And so Jesus is, like he does, is being very bold, even though it's through a story, he's calling to the carpet and saying, this is how I'm going to describe what you're doing. And again, thieves and robbers coming in would be very self-serving and self-centered. It's all about them and what they need for themselves. Okay? Obviously, the shepherd here 
is Jesus himself. So what is Jesus trying to communicate here with this, this first imagery? And this is the one that just kind of I never really saw before in the context of how I taught it. And there's been some debate, not major things, but that some would think that the sheepfold at this point, that little pen area would be entering into heaven or the world or it's the church. But very clearly here, this first section, as Jesus is communicating, I want you to look briefly over in verse 16. Because we're great to touch base on some of this next week. We read this one. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this what? Of this fold. So he's separating out two folds. Okay? There's one little flock of fold over here and one other flock. So I have some other sheep that are not a part of this fold I'm talking about here that I must also bring. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So this first imagery Jesus is saying is this first little fold that's in there are my people, the Jews. And I'm going to walk in as the shepherd into this fold and I'm going to call out by name those that are going to know me, my people, out of Judaism, out of this religious spirit, out of this darkness, out of this false flock that they're in because I'm coming in to set them free and to bring life. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to walk in up to this courtyard and guess who's the doorkeeper? who's already prepared the way to open the door for Jesus. God the Father. I'm opening the door. You're the one that's trusted. You're the one that I prepared to come do this. You're the one that I have prepared the way that we together, God, this is my redemptive plan to come and set them free. So the doorkeeper opens because he trusts, he knows the shepherd who owns these sheep. A thief and a robber would come from behind and sneak their way up and the the doorkeeper would never know them. So that's the first imagery here that he's trying to communicate to them. It's saying, I've walked in and those that I call out, they're going to hear my voice. And who's, he, who's the first one that he could use as an example? He can almost turn and look at the what? The blind beggar. Here's the man that heard my call. He heard my voice, and I led him out. I set him free, not just from blindness, but I set him free from darkness. I brought him from darkness to light, from death to life, and I'm bringing him out of this religious spirit into truth as the true shepherd. Now, in the midst of this imagery, God's so clear, and this is what I love about this, reveals so much about his character and his nature and his personality and his ways. And I hope you all see this, that this is who we have a relationship with, how precious it is. This relationship speaks so much to me with this shepherd and sheep as I've studied and taught it because of, and convicts me in my role, because of how intimate it is. And look at there in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Guys, he knows your name. He knows you intimately. Those in here that are followers of Jesus Christ, that you can already say are our sheep. He knows you perfectly, intimately, by name. You're not alone. You're not an afterthought. You're not just one of a huge amount. He knows you so personally and so well. And he wants to have that relationship and for that conversation, the voice to be so intimate. They, uh, a couple of the guys gave an example as I was studying around uh, the intimacy of this relationship and knowing their voice. How many of you, and we all do this, you pick up a phone, you call your spouse, your brother, your sister, and you go, hey, it's me, right? You don't have to give what? Your name, because you recognize what? The voice. And this is how we've got to see this. God wants that kind of intimacy with you, and his voice is first revealed to us where? Right here. Guys, right now, those of you in here, all are hearing the voice of the Lord through his word. I'm reading his own words, number one, in red. But this is his word. This is his voice. 
We start right here, his authority and power. There may be some in here who are not followers of Jesus, that you're here seeking, you're here wondering what this relationship with Jesus is all about. Who is this God? And right now, this call is going out to you to say, listen, hear me. This is who I am. This is what I came to do for you, as you're about to hear and see in a very detailed way. So the voice of the Lord is going out even now. And he wants to call you by name and lead you out from where you are in a place of darkness. But one guy named H.V. Morton said he was studying and going to Israel and he was outside of Bethlehem on this one trip. And he went to a cave where he noticed two flocks were together. These shepherds were in there with their flocks. And literally one of them came out as he was watching at a distance. And all he did was stand back and did his call, whatever it was. You know, whatever, you know, his little thing. And one at a time, he'd see one come out, and then a couple more would come out, and he would do it a few minutes. And by the end of that time, there was like 15 to 20 sheep that all made their way out of that cave to follow him with just a voice. I mean, that is just, I just love this example and how God made it that way. Philip Keller, a guy that I teach out of his book on Psalm 23, watched many times two big herds together, big herds, near watering holes when he was an East African sheep herder. I'm going to quote him again. And he had his own flock, and he would watch the guys down the hill at this one watering hole. And one guy would leave, do a cup, whatever his little call was, his voice, and just start walking. And he would watch hundreds of sheep leave the midst of the other hundreds and work their way through and come out and follow from one little verbal expression. And guys, this is the God we serve, how he's given this imagery for us to know this is what he desires to relate with us in this way. And I love this other part of this. We only know we know that it's through time. God is saying through time, community being together, as he's saying here, you're going to hear my call through the work of the Spirit, and I will lead you out from where you are, and I will guide you. And I love the whole thing about leading them out. As we all know, sheep are one of the what, most what animals on earth? Stupid and dumb. Amen. That's a, it's just a fact. And that's why I love this imagery and why Jesus did that. We are dumb, stupid sheep. And that's why he did this, all of us. And the reason why I love this so much is I want to say why this is so important for this imagery. I've played this before, but I want to give you a visual. Can you put the video up? This is us. Yep, CJ is about to show himself. No, there's no poor little thing. All right. Isn't that amazing? That's us. What in the world would have motivated or compelled that thing to go in that hole? He didn't slide in. He didn't trip or fall in. You had to. Whatever was down there, he wanted. And I'm just, there's a whole sermon there. I'm not going there. Huge sermon. But I'm just saying that's who we are. That is. See yourself. Say Amen. Because then we're going to get this passage even better. We're going to see what Jesus was trying to communicate. That's how dumb we are. That's how selfish we are. That's how self-serving we are. That's how focused on what we want and only what we want. And it takes that precious man, that shepherd, to come and go, what? What would happen to that sheep within an hour or two as we study? Dead. That sheep is dead. If that guy doesn't come along and grab that shepherd and pull him out and rescue that sheep, the sheep is dead. So that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. That's who I am, he's trying to say. 
I'm coming to lead you out. I'm coming to be the guide. And in verse 4, it says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The beauty of even of this, it's so simple. We've all seen cattle drives, right? The guys are out there, the cowboys are on their horses. And where do they normally get to drive the cattle, to lead them? Behind them, right? And they get the whips out or whatever, and they're driving the cattle. They're behind them. This imagery is so different. Shepherds don't do that. The relationship of the shepherd to sheep is he goes what? Before them. And the beauty of that is, is he prepares the way. He goes before us in every circumstance, in every situation, and he prepares the way, prepares safety and security and protection, whatever is before. So those sheep that are coming behind, he already knows what's coming for our sake. And that's what he does here. He's like, I'm going to lead you out. And he does that for us in and through the work of his Holy Spirit. That's a couple chapters down as you'll see that. So that's how he leads us and guides us through all knowing the intimacy of his voice. And they will follow him out. And then he goes into a quick contrast. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. And who's he talking to still? Pharisees. So you can only imagine what you would think, what they may be processing right now. And a stranger, obviously, as we all know, and this just came to me as I was, this past day when I was kind of putting this together, a little bit more of a conviction of going, guys, for us who are walking in sanctification, this still applies, that we need to really have a keen, clear ear vertically to truly know the voice of our shepherd. Because who's the angel of light? Satan. He comes in ways sometimes as the wolf in sheep's clothing that's going to try to deceive and get in there and accuse and come where he may be looking good and he may be looking like the shepherd and may be saying things that are really close, but everything's for destruction as we're about to see. And we've really got to be sensitive to that and discern that. And that ties into this to a certain degree. And just like counterfeit money, and this is why I want to encourage you about the word. For those that look at counterfeit money to know if it's a real bill or a fake bill, do they look at the fake stuff? No. A counterfeit person working for the FBI, CIA, spends their day, every day, looking at the real thing. Every day looking at the real bills, the real hundreds, all the little things. They look up and compare. So, guys, that's for us, is this. We have to know what's real, the real word, the real voice. As we study this, memorize it, cultivate it into our lives. When those times come, when the enemy may try to deceive and be a stranger in in the shepherd's clothing and lead us astray, we'll go... Look at it and go, nope, that's not the voice I hear. It's the wrong voice. A gentleman named Morris, one of the theologians, actually read about some of the Palestinian shepherds, and they tested this one time and literally had a couple of the guys, his buddies, put on his outfit, his shepherd garb that he wears, and stand out in the midst of the sheep and then try to imitate his call. He knew what the shepherd call was in front of the herd. And he did it and... They didn't just stand there. It's really what the scripture says. They bolted. They left in fear because they recognized what? That's not our owner. That's not our shepherd. He literally couldn't believe it. They did the exact call, tried to imitate him, but they still recognized him. Clothes, they noticed his presence was not there. And they fled. Just as say, it didn't even say that the, when the strangers, they will not follow or they'll just stand and wait. They flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. And so just for us to even think about that, again, I hope you're seeing the imagery here of 
the God that we serve and how Jesus wants to relate with us and interact with us in this way. Philip Keller even said on one occasion, he got in front of he, at his big field, he started hearing some rustling and the ewes and them were budding and having like a little fight and everything. He could just hear there was chaos and disorder um, in his herd in the distance. So he walked up to it and he was over a little knoll and the sheep were below. And as soon as he walked up over the hill of the knoll and just stood, and as soon as the ewes who were budding and pounding recognized his presence, they stopped just in their tracks. And chaos was done. They just went on their way and peace and order came back. And so this is the sensitivity that God desires for us in his presence. And look at, and then he just, here's a sobering verse. They didn't understand it. He's sharing all of this. He's trying to obviously say, guys, you're not leading properly. You're not shepherding as you should. In verse six, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which has been saying to them. Figure of speech, they say it's like a parable, an allegory, but them is, again, the Pharisees. They did not have eyes to see or ears to hear. Matthew 13, 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while they are seeing, they do not see. While they're hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus was saying, even the next verse, he quotes Isaiah, that the heart of the people has become dull. Guys, this is sobering. This is even for me when I read this. I'm like, Lord... Is there self in my life, you know, pride and rebellion that is keeping me from hearing you properly, from reading your word and getting clear understanding? And another one that's very sobering, Ezekiel 12, God is speaking to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house who have eyes to see, but they do not see. They have ears to hear, but they do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. And guys... Again, just a sobering warning of what Jesus was trying to tell them. But again, look what the compassion and love of our Savior does. He could have stopped there. said, well, you don't get it. I'm going to let you go, right? But what does he do? He switches things up just a little bit. He changes the imagery and he tries to bring some more revelation. And this is the last part. And Lord, help me. Okay. Verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, he brings it back. Guys, this is important. I tell you the truth, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Guys, this is two of the most profound professions. Verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. Does that sound familiar, the I am? This is important. This is the third declaration of seven that John brings up that Jesus declares through his ministry. The first was, I am the bread of life. The second was, I am the light of the world. And that I am declaration is huge because what he is saying is, I am that I am. (laughs) I'm God. And this is what he's trying to communicate. I'm Yahweh, and he did this before. He's making that connection way back to Exodus when he's declaring his Godhead. And so he's saying, I am the door of the sheep. And here's a great transition. And the voice, the theologian voice kind of showed this imagery. Jesus changes it up a little bit. Before he said he walks through the door that the gatekeeper let him in. This sheepfold is different. Look at this imagery. It's so, so neat. This is the pen that's out in the countryside. The shepherd's out in the hills. 
And instead of coming all the way back into the city, he would make his own sheepfold. So he would stack up some rocks, really rough, and make his own pen. And he would elevate it high enough to where the sheep couldn't jump over. And then once that's done, he leaves one opening to where the shepherd himself actually lies down and becomes the door. Isn't that neat? And these guys would have grasped that imagery. They would have seen that. Because he's now saying, I'm the door. I'm not just the one walking through that a gatekeeper's letting me in. They would see this imagery that he's saying, I am now the door. And so with that, here's what he's declaring. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved, will come in and out, and find pasture. All who came before him were false Christs, false messiahs, false teachers, revolutionaries coming in, some even declaring to be the messiah. And all of them were doing it for what? Again, what do thieves and robbers do it for? Self-interest. They were trying either to gain a large group of people or be revolutionary and try to overthrow Rome. Whatever it was, it was not the heart of a shepherd trying to reach the people of Israel as what Jesus was trying to do when he came. What a quote. I'm the door if anyone enters through me. So the first thing to realize, how many doors are there? Is there a verse you think about when you hear Jesus say, I am the door, and there's only one door? Thank you. I see, I see Alicia over there going. John 14, 6. He says it a few chapters from here. And that's what he's declaring here. There's only one door. There's only one way to enter into this salvation, into life. And that's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And look what we get to experience. If you enter through him, Jesus says you will be what? saved and it literally means the greek here rescued from danger restored protected everything that salvation encompasses experiencing grace and mercy and joy all of it and then he elaborates you get to go in and out and what i love about that he's he's saying when you come to the pen because remember the imagery he's out in the countryside so as he brings you in he leads you out the shepherd leads you in the shepherd leads you out okay and that's a daily routine But what that is encompassing is there's a daily relationship. There's a daily connection. There's a daily security you're going to find in me because if I don't do the leading, where does the sheep end up? In the hole? Or out of another pasture or down some rocks or cast with a whole other sermon where they're up on their backs floundering around and they're dead in a few hours. So Jesus is saying here, I will save you. I will give you security. I will give you intimate relationship. And all that is encompassed, and this is the best part, when you find pasture in me. That's the Greek word that we use for pastors in Ephesians 4. That literally means poimen, meaning I as a pastor, Gray as a pastor, and us as elders. It's the same word for elder, that we are called to pasture you, meaning whatever that entails as a shepherd does. And the beauty of this word means it encompasses everything that Jesus and salvation provides in this relationship. And they're all encompassed in one word, and that's the word peace. You want to see the one word that encompasses everything a shepherd desires for his flock is the word peace and everything that entails. Full satisfaction, full rest. Not based on your circumstances. Hear that. Every one of us in the room can be in complete peace, complete rest, complete contentment in God, and our circumstances be awful. Amen? Because it's about the person who is peace, not about my surroundings. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You can experience the fullness 
of the pasture in me as you enter through me and experience life in that way. One thing that Philip Kelly used to say, one of his favorite things to do when he prepared a new pasture for his herd, for his flock, and he would lead them from one to the next, and he would have it surrounded the gate, and the grass was luscious and green, and it was the new time. As soon as he opened the gate and, they, and he led them in, literally the second, the first ewe crossed over on that fresh grass, they would all start leaping and kicking and dancing around. All of them. Because what did they recognize where they were? Fresh pasture. This life, this peace, this sustenance, something we get that feeds us, something that we get to enjoy and lay in. Have you all seen that Facebook thing where the cows have come out of a barn after six to eight months? It's unbelievable. It's the same thing. I know cows did this. They were in a barn for months and months and months doing some research or they kept them in for babies or something. But they filmed it. The whole town came and they filmed. They opened the barn doors. And these uh, Holsteins came out, these ewes. The second they put their feet in the grass that was fresh in their pen or whatever, these cows are dancing all over the place. Prouncing. I mean, literally. But that's the image I want you guys to see for us. As we experience pasture in Christ, as we experience his peace and his satisfaction and rest and contentment and all that he is, that's the joy we should experience. We should be leaping inside. We should experience that. And that's what he desires for us. Okay. I hope you guys are getting it. But look at the contrast. I love that too. So Jesus is saying in verse 9, you enter through me. Here's what you can experience, the beauty of this relationship. Salvation, security, pasture, peace, salvation, sustenance, satisfaction. But, verse 10, but there's a thief. And the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we know who the thief is. That's the predator. That's the enemy. That's the one thing every shepherd looks out for. That's why he goes before. He scouts out the area. Is there a place that a mountain lion or a wolf or somebody can pounce and take out one of his sheep? And he knows that the enemy does it. That's what the predator does. But Jesus is saying, I offer life and not death. And has a whole teaching on those two verses. But verse 11, as he transitions, and this comes to the closing. Jesus declares one more time, and what a powerful statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. There's another I am, number four. I am the good shepherd. The reason we can enter the door The reason we have the capacity to enter in through Jesus is because he is the good shepherd. He's saying you can enter in through me because of me being the good shepherd and the fact that I laid down my life for the sheep. The hired hand is just hired for money. There's no concern. There's no care. There's no interest in the sheep. It's like if I can make this, I will do my duty and leave. When the wolf or the predator comes, as it says here in verse 12, he doesn't care. He cares more about his own life. He cares more about his own interest. So he's going to flee. So who is the hired hand as Jesus is talking to the Pharisee? Who is he confronting? Them. Can you imagine that imagery? You're the hired hand. You don't care about the sheep. All you care about is your own self-interest and your own self-serving. And if a wolf or a predator comes, you're going to flee. And, and they did that. What did they do to the beggar, the blind man that got healed? Remember the scripture in verse 34? Boot. They kicked him out. 
There was no care. There was no love. There was no concern. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They were an obvious false shepherd and one who acted like a hired hand. But Jesus is the one who is so concerned and his life is so good. Boyce had a great definition. Grady just taught on the goodness of God, God being good this past Wednesday night. Little plug, guys, come. It's a rich, rich time on Wednesday nights. It is so good with small groups. I know people have stuff going on, but if you can pray about that, alter your schedule. We got a lot more to go in the attributes of God, and it's been very, very sweet. But Boyce says we are to recognize Jesus as the good, beautiful, winsome, loved, attractive, true, and genuine shepherd. The shepherd has come to love, to serve, and to protect his sheep, to have tender care. And here's the beauty of it. He's going to give it freely. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I love how he transitions from verse 11 where it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he says he's a good shepherd. But I love how he gets so specific in what he declares in 15. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And just, you can imagine the blind beggar hearing that, the disciples hearing that, hearing the heart of God. And look at this comparison, saints. Verse 14, that word, no, I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Look at the, he, he, he equates it. The word there, gnosko, the word, Greek word know there is gnosko. And it's not just this general knowledge, oh, I know about something, or I know about someone. That Greek word is so clear, it is about an intimate, personal, affectionate knowledge that's connected to our relationship. And so God is saying that what I can experience with my sheep that I've died for, that I'm going to give my life for, is the same intimate affection that I can experience with my father. Guys, that's fascinating. That he equates that knowledge, that, that relationship, that we can have that intimacy with the God of the universe. So in closing, I want to give you this quote. I think it kind of surmises everything with Wearsby of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Again, think about his audience. You're false shepherds. You're not loving your sheep. You're not tender for the sheep. You're not caring for the sheep. You don't want to protect them. But I've come to do that. This is who I am in my nature. A God who loves and preserves and protects and satisfies and provides. And I'm going to show you by voluntarily, willingly giving my life for them. Wiersbe says, under the old dispensation, the old covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. But now... The good shepherd dies for the sheep. In his sacrifice, he did not die as a martyr killed by men. He died as a substitute, willingly laying down his life for us. Guys, have you ever, in this context, thought about, and I thought about it during the eclipse, that the God of the universe, the God of planets and galaxies and Milky Ways that are truly incomprehensible for this brain to even fathom, the God who, as Grady and I were outside with our little glasses, brought a rock in perfect alignment between the star of the sun that can be almost indescribed in our human finiteness, but he placed it right there perfectly for us to enjoy and to see his glory and to see his majesty. I don't know about you guys, we worshiped out there. I did. I looked at it and I went, oh my gosh, you're amazing that you did this. 
He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to at some point over the millennia go, I'm going to take this rock, put it between the sun, and reveal myself. He didn't have to do that. But he did to reveal who he is for us. But that God, who is truly incomprehensible, came to this earth in the flesh as a babe like us. On purpose, voluntarily, willingly, for his glory, for his love for us, to be our shepherd, for us to be his sheep, to give his life so that we can experience a relationship with him. That's worth shouting about. That's worth declaring. That's worth dancing around and prancing in the, in the, in the grass. And that's the message we have to take to others. I'm telling you, you take John 10 and you talk to any unbeliever, an atheist or anybody, they'll start getting it. They'll at least start getting why you have the relationship you think you have. Because it fits to who we are. It's such a wonderful way to display and to share the gospel and for us to see the beauty of God in this relationship. So as Grady comes up, he's going to lead us of why we get to celebrate this and how God wants us to remember through communion. And I apologize for the time, but let me pray and just hope that you see and experience the beauty of this relationship as Jesus being our good shepherd and what he has come to do for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that in such a beautiful way you showed us who you are, the type of relationship we can have with you, who, who you desire to commune with us and have time together and spend time together. And God, even with the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray for those in this room, first and foremost, if they've never heard your voice, if they've never experienced the intimacy of you knowing them by name, God, I pray in Jesus' name you would bring repentance right now. That you would speak to those in this room that have never experienced the beauty of your shepherd heart. And you desire that this morning. So bring your conviction and revelation, God, and reveal yourself. And for most of us in this room who are your sheep, I pray, God, that we continue to cultivate knowing your voice, that we want to hear you, we want to know you intimately, we want to experience hearing you call us by name in those intimate relationship times as you lead us in and out of situations of life that we can experience your peace and rest and contentment and satisfaction in you. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. And I pray this week we can experience that in a new, fresh way and be able to tell others about the beauty of this relationship as well. In Jesus' name, amen.